So this is a, um, a review of <coughs> Chapter 8 of Church Discipline. I do appreciate the, the reminder, um, Mike, when we ask ourselves, how, how are we supposed to go about this? We should do with others in the same way that God and Christ have dealt with us. So God recognizes sin for sin, but he comes to us in a spirit of gentleness trying to lovingly restore us. Um, Hebrews is a great reference to that. But Jesus' interaction with people as a whole, how did he come to us um, in our sin? And so um, I appreciate that. I wanted to take a moment before I uh, tried to wrap up chapter 8 and really just kind of open it up a bit for not just this chapter, but uh, are there other questions that you all may have about chapter 8 or anything previous that maybe we had to rush, rush through. Not a single thing. Mike, we've done an exceptional job. Hmm. So you're not depending on us saying something. I would love for you to say something. <laughs> <laughs> you going to talk about the word um, restore in Galatians 6.1? That Greek word Catartizo. I was not necessarily planning on delving yeah. back into that. I love I, I love what they have to say about that. And, you know about the uh, the connection that it yes. had at the time to the mending of nets. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was uh, a, a neat concept. So you're referring to page uh, 95 of chapter eight. Um, this single verb, restore. And he says, this same word occurs in Matthew chapter 4, 21, and Mark 1, 19, for the mending of fishnets. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10, as a term for Christian unity. And in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, as an appeal to mend your ways. So it has the connotation of restoring someone or something to proper order. And isn't the goal of discipline, as we have seen so far, to restore someone to a life of walking by the Spirit rather than by the flesh, to restore him to fellowship with God and with God's people, and to restore fractured relationships within the church when they have been disrupted by sin. Something's broken. We can see uh, when we step uh, away from a life led by the Spirit and instead pursue things Uh, works of the flesh, we break something that God wants to stay together. We break our relationship with him, but we break, we oftentimes, and we see it, we we break the relationship that we have with others that's supposed to be uh, bound together with love and and unity. Um, Sin is such a disruptive force. It's not not what God designed. It's not what, what God wants for us. And when we pursue those things, we break the beautiful things that God has put together. So, yeah, thank you for, for reminding us of that. The idea of, of mending fishnets or, or, or putting things back together the way that they were intended to be. Yeah. Uh, since we, we've been talking about gentleness, or more recently, I guess at the end of the class of, uh, on Sunday, is there an end to, uh, not necessarily an end to gentleness, but it just seems from Jesus dealing with people differently kind of depending on where they're at and he doesn't seem gentle with Pharisees and Sadducees and say you know 
he's doing things by the power of the devil and he seems to handle them quite a bit differently and so you know it's not a one-size-fits-all answer but you know where's that wisdom like how to apply gentleness is one thing but also then what gentleness looks like it's kind of like saying well be content well okay what's that look like okay sure. be gentle but what does that look like how, how does that uh, how is how do we embody that but then also where does that transition or what what kind of things might prompt you to handle someone different than through through a spirit of gentleness sure he as far as i remember he doesn't bring this up in his book but something that i have found helpful in in regards to how, how do we approach people who after being confronted with their sin still choose to to go their own way I have found looking at the, the letters to the seven churches in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation and how Jesus talks to those Christians. In some instances, he is, he is lovingly trying to instill them with, uh, with, with courage and bravery because difficult things are coming. In Ephesus, he starts by commending them for the, the good things that they're doing but says, you've, you've lost the, the heart and the spirit behind it. You, you've left your first love. And he gets pretty, pretty clear about what's going to happen if they stay on that path. I'm going to remove your lampstand. Um, there's, this, there's this beautiful balance of... But he doesn't say that to like the Laodiceans. He's very... Right. He's very curt with them. That's right. There are some churches where he's got nothing to commend them for at all. And he lays it out pretty clear. But even in those letters, you still sense this feeling of, I want you. I want you yeah, to, I don't, to yeah, come I don't back. Think, I, yeah, I don't think um, not, not being gentle de- doesn't preclude someone from also still caring about the individual, yeah. still wanting yeah. restoration. So I find, I find looking at those letters and seeing how Jesus communicated with them um, is, a great, is a great framework. Uh, that that we could emulate. I looked at that phrase a little differently um, in that, and he brings this up on page 96, but especially if you tie it into verse 3 of Galatians 6, he says with the gentle spirit, or in the spirit of gentleness, um, it isn't a case of the righteous pointing the accusing finger at the sinful. The spiritual are to go with a deep sense of gentle humility to those who are once spiritual like themselves, yet who have fallen into fleshly ways. In fact, Paul goes on to caution the spiritual to look out for themselves for fear that they might fall into the same sort of sin. So the idea that he kind of brings up here, which makes a lot of sense to me, is that he's not talking about how we approach someone, but the fact that ourselves, that we have a spirit of gentleness realizing that I myself need to make sure that I don't become the very thing. Don't become the very thing that I want to talk to them about. Right. Which kind of makes more sense to me if you can consider then in verse three, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I view that idea of gentleness and humility going hand in hand. Right. That we're approaching them with gentleness because we ourselves realize. We're, we're, we're nothing important. We're, we're not better than you by coming to you. So I, I'm not going to come at you with, with harshness or with, with, with judgment. I'm going to come to you with, with gentleness, seeing, seeing you in danger and, and trying, to, trying to point out 
impending danger and, and we're trying to trying to save. Yeah, he says um, we are never in a yes. proper frame of mind to deal with other people's sins until we are deeply conscious of our own weakness and failings. Only then can we have the necessary spirit of humility. Again, humble, myself being humble, not trying to humble them, but spirit of humility and gentleness. In this way and in this spirit, we can truly bear one another's burdens. Right. That just, that just, yes. that just makes so much sense to me. Yes, and, and we talked, uh, I, I appreciate us going back. We talked a little bit about that. I do feel like we, we probably had to rush it there at the end. Um, how do you I want to word that? You, you, you said that yourself. You said when you approach a brother, you, you approach him with, I sense you're, you're struggling here. I've, I've experienced similar struggles. The empathy how that we can I, have. How can I help you? That's right. That's right. It, it should never be... Um, I've seen this before, I've conquered this, and it's, it's um, you are less than me, and that's why I'm pointing this out. Oftentimes, when we look at our own weaknesses and our own strugglings, it, it should instill within us a spirit of empathy that, uh, you know, I understand to some degree, every situation is different, but I understand to some degree the, the pain you're feeling, the difficulty of this temptation, the, the, the difficulty of saying no to this, so let me offer you some advice, either from my own personal failings um, or from, from my being able to, to see this, this temptation for what it is and overcoming it. Here's, here's some ideas that I have. Here, not some ideas that I have. Here's some strength and encouragement from God's word that has helped me. Let, let me impart that to you. We did, we did um, point this out, and I want... I want us to, to reiterate it. Um, an honest acknowledgement of our own spiritual failings and weaknesses should not form within us a sense of inadequacy to approach another person in their sin. Because that could be a temptation to say, well, I'm no better than you, so who am I to even point anything out? Well, no, it's because I'm no better than you that we're, we're working together to try and, and, and achieve um, well, to try and emulate Christ, to try and, and follow his lead. It instead should form within us an attitude of empathy and humility and a firsthand knowledge of the devastating consequences of unrepented sin and an urgency to help them repent. Um, <clears throat> because we've seen it ourselves, we should be in a, in a good position to try and, and point out the urgency. But what does he say... Um, might be the dangers. Say we have encountered this sin before. Say we have struggled with this very thing and, and we have weakness. What's the danger, he points out in, at the end of verse 1. So, I struggle with that sin just like you, so I'm going to dive headlong into it to help you out. What's the danger? Well, if you don't know how to swim, or you're just barely learning to how to swim, <laughs> right. trying to help a drowning man, you're right. going to sink as well. There, yeah, there is some wisdom here. If, if you are neck deep in that very sin yourself, you, you may not be the best person equipped to help that person. Um, because at this he, point. At this point. At this point. Because he warns, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What, what are the dangers, what might be the dangers of failing to look out for ourselves in an attempt to restore a sinful brother or sister? Because I think there's more than one. 
Someone say the obvious. We, we kind of just said it, but... We get caught up in the sin itself. Right. So I'm trying to save them, and in doing so, it becomes an allure to me, and I end up participating in the very same thing. Yeah. Well, not just arrogance. I mean, that's why preachers shouldn't go to counsel or help a young lady that's in distress by himself because he may go to help her in her distress and they all of a sudden they form a bond and one thing leads to another. And sure. That has happened. That has happened. Yeah, and I, I know some preachers, um, I mean, uh, Jeremy and my father are both uh, of this mind that yeah, they don't they don't go and meet one on one with a female um, to offer advice. You know, they always bring along either their wives um, um, or encourage that person to bring someone else. Um, not only so that they don't potentially fall into temptation, but it also uh, the appearance of it, yeah, it, it helps yeah. it helps to 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 clear up any any appearance of that. Um, I don't know. Is there another hand? I don't know exactly how to ask this question. What's what's implied then at the end of verse six? Because he's speaking to Christians here, Christians who are trying to help other Christians who've succumbed to sin. In the verse one. In the end of verse one. Mm-hmm. These are people who have participated in the salvation that Jesus offers. These are people who have accepted. Jesus as their Lord and Savior. These are people who've participated and enjoy the the grace that God offers them. But what's implied here? If we're not careful. Well, Gary said it on uh, (coughs) Sunday, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. You know, we need to, if we think we stand, we need to take heed lest we too fall. and, and, And realize that we too can be uh, tempted, whether it's with this exact sin or right. or another. Right, that we shouldn't we shouldn't view ourselves as invincible. <laughs> you know, I've I've experienced the saving power of, of Jesus now, and so yeah, I'm going to go into this because you know I've got Jesus with me. Well, no, no, we we need to be careful. We shouldn't look at, at grace as some kind of in, invincibility shield. Um, but as something that um, that benefits us in in our weaknesses, and it should be pointed out, we keep kind of using this example that I could fall into that same sin. But I, I assume I'm not the only one. Sometimes in my approaching somebody, I fall into different kinds of sin <laughs> in my attempts to reach them, and maybe it's you know speaking things in anger. Maybe it's impatience. Maybe it's you know, uh, name the sin. I end up falling into different temptations in, in my attempt. We avert that, it says, when we come to them in a spirit of gentleness. When we come to them in a spirit of, I'm not someone coming to you in condemnation. I'm someone coming to you trying to help you bear this burden. Because sin, sin is a burden. Were there any other thoughts on that? You're thinking... You got something, yeah? I was just thinking about what you said as, as far as sin being a burden. I mean, I think of that if I was just thinking of different ways that would apply. Sure. <laughs> and in a way, I wasn't necessarily thinking of it being a burden. But 
sin is a burden, no matter what sin it is. Right. And sometimes, I guess what I'm thinking is sometimes the person doesn't necessarily see it as a burden if they're going off. I mean, some yeah. adultery is obviously one of those that would be a, a noticeable burden. But sometimes we kind of get off track and it's, we don't look at it as a burden right. at all. So I, that's what I was thinking. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and we've we've had conversations with our kids about this as far as truth and deceit. Truth, you know, the the scriptures say that that the truth will set us free, right? But that that lies and deceit actually actually enslave us. Well, there are some times where telling this lie here real quick seems like it's it's easing up the situation. It does seem at times that sin makes things better, at least in the temporary. But what we have to constantly remind ourselves is uh, sin eventually, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. We may not experience that immediately after making that decision, but if, if left unattended, and if not allowing God's forgiveness and grace to, to take care of that, if we continue in it with, with no desire to change, um, it does become, does become a burden. Let's talk about uh, this word. I, I use the ESV. Um, if anyone is caught, I think I had a conversation with, maybe with you, Gary, afterwards, uh, as far as different ways of looking at that word. He brings this up. Oh, where was this? It's on page 96 under with a gem. Thank you. Thank you. The idea of, of being caught, uh, do other people have a, a different word for that? Different translation for that? Overtaken. 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 Are there any others, or is it just kind of those two? Well, how does that read to you when you maybe try those different words on? I don't think of caught as, ah, caught you. Yes. It, it is more... To me, it's more the idea of trapped and snared. Thank you. Right? Yes. Caught up. Caught up. Caught up in sin. Yeah. Yes. So I think this is one of those instances where that all kind of played through my mind during class, but I don't think I actually said it out loud. Um, that word seems to be probably better translated overtaken to help with that idea of caught most of us are not going to wake up in the morning and go, this is the day that I'm going to do this horrendous sin. Usually, we don't sit around and premeditate it. <clears throat> Oftentimes, it just kind of it kind of comes out of nowhere. We, we find ourselves going down a path, and before we know it, man, oh, what has, how, how did I get here? That I almost view it as this, as this bear trap, you know, this thing that we stepped into and we didn't we didn't intend for that, but we walked into that area and, and stepped on it, and now now we are trapped. Maybe helping helping us approach that person with a with a different kind of mindset instead of looking at it as a aha I caught you, but oh no I have found you caught. What can I do to kind of help? wrench that bear trap open. Yeah, but it's something that's now known. It's kind of like catching someone red-handed. Sure. Uh, that it's not 
it's no longer hidden. It's now you or others are now presented with they've now been caught. You right. Know, they're not. It's still not secretive. No one knows if this is even occurring. Now it's known, yeah. and so it, that's the only time that you can do anything, right? Sure. That it's it's when that person's finally caught that you can actually begin that process. But until then, it's not. I mean, it's still secretive. So, and it's a or unless they bring themselves to light, but still, right? You know, sin will eventually place, so. be made known, right? Some sins can go a long time without anyone realizing. What I can't what's do going a on. lot about. I mean, I can do some, right? But not, without being aware, like. You know, there may be things that you're doing, like keeping, you know, keeping tabs on Mike because, you know, well, he's just, he's suspicious, you know. <laughs> but, you know, keeping in contact with each other, yes. helping to bring things to light may help with that yes. of, you know, that coming uh, to fruition sooner than later. But, um, yeah, I, I get your point about the caught, but it's not necessarily a, a bad word, but it's, you know, just kind of our, our mental yes. hang up on it. Right, right. And, and really, my, my point, and I think his point, is um, he says, I think to pref- uh, another reason I think to prefer the translation overtaken rather than caught, um, and yeah, we keep coming back to this point, it should help reemphasize in our mind the attitude in which we should approach this person. Um, we are not waiting around the corner just Looking watching and waiting. <laughs> Don't touch those cookies! You know. <laughs> but instead, um, it is coming to someone realizing that this thing has to be dealt with. You can't have a bear trap stuck on your leg and go, that's fine. You know, it'll all be okay. You know, we'll take care of it. Um, was there, yes, Mike. Another translation says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, overcome, you know, similar to overtaken. But I think we also have to realize as well that these people reading this epistle would have just read about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so their minds would be going to those types of things. Yeah. And this idea of being overcome does not indicate to me that if I saw someone do something and I thought, you know what, that's probably the only time they've ever done it, and then I realized that they realized what they did was not right, I don't know that I need to go and restore them. But this idea of overcome or being overtaken is someone that has basically let this sin become part of their life. It is somewhat ruling a portion of their life, and it's going to be destructive. And then at that point, I think this is where it's saying we have to, we must get involved. Um, to bring, to try to restore it. Yes, and and I do. I try to use the term as often as I can. Unrepentant sin. There are times where there may be times where I have done something and I don't know it, it is a sin, right? And and hopefully in my continued study, I can I can come to the realization. And when I do, I need to confess that. I need to try and, and you know I need to repent of that. I need to try to fix it if I can. Ask for forgiveness. Um, but then there are times, and, and those, are the, those are the examples that, that were given. Matthew 18 clearly is an example of someone who is confronted with their sin and doesn't want to listen. More people are brought in, and they still don't want to listen. The church is brought in. That's very different than, you know, oh, I made a mistake, and now everyone's going to, you know, withdraw fellowship from me instantly. Well, no. Um, 
Hebrews actually uses a couple of different ways of, of describing this. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, if we go on sinning deliberately, is a way he describes that. There's a difference. Um, sin is sin, and it, and it needs to be acknowledged. We need to treat it for what it is. Um, but what the admonition that we're given as a church, as a collective, what we should be doing in order to maintain unity and fellowship with each other um, are directed towards those who, when, when they see their sin, either of their own accord or someone gently points it out to them and they say, yeah, I don't care. I still want to do the thing. Um, that's, where, that's where we're given instruction on, on how to, um, what to do next. Well, I noticed in chapter 12 of this book, too, we'll deal with another uh, situation uh, of someone who is uh, domineering, uh, yes, and depending upon the situation, you know, you may not be as gentle uh, in the approach depending upon their, as you kind of said, on their attitude and what their goals are or the impact that they're having. Right, and and we will. That that is a great chapter. We will go into that. I think it'll also speak to your question earlier in the class. You know, sometimes Jesus came at him hard, and what's the difference? You know, that doesn't seem like a spirit of gentleness. Why is he doing that? Well, th- there is a difference, and and we'll talk about that um, a little bit more. I think I worship with that guy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm gonna leave that one alone. <laughs> I can't control those people, but Lord willing, I am not one of those people, right? Lord willing, and and you can make the choice for you, and you can make the choice for you. Um, well, being careful of yourself, again, just like we were right. just talking about being careful, it's going right. become that same thing, too. That's right. Um, hey, Craig, I liked his point on the middle of page 97, where... The sentence at the end of that first paragraph, brother and sister are not just titles, they suggest relationships, and relationship implies responsibility, our responsibility to act when a fellow Christian is in trouble. Yes. I like that. I thought that was that was helpful to me. Yes, thank you. And I apologize, guys. I, I was trying to fill pages so as not to waste paper, and I've got notes over here and notes over here and... <laughs> And my brain is all over here. But I did have that written down, John. Thank you. Um, This idea, so it's in that section, Restoration, Anyone. Um, I highlighted that whole... That whole, yeah, I've got got just about all of it highlighted as well. It actually stems from uh, a comment that you just made. We've met people, and he, he kind of keeps bringing up this example that the chapter started with, where there was this couple that... Uh, the church did not handle discipline well with. And so he's bringing them back up. Uh, I can't remember what they're... Irene? Irene. Or, uh, I'm sorry, not a couple, but, but this woman, Irene. Um, I, I'm fairly confident that we have all either heard of or p- personally experienced instances where churches did not do this in a God-honoring way. And that's it's unfortunate. It's... 
it's heartbreaking to us. You can imagine what it must be for Jesus that his, his bride would act that way. It could be tempting to say that's, that's a reflection on the whole church and that's despicable and Christians are so... And we mustn't do that. We should look at those examples. We, we can bemoan the fact that they occur. It's unfortunate. It's, it's wrong. But what we should do instead is make sure that, that we ourselves are not caught up in repeating those same failures. Because I have also seen churches that have done this in such a beautiful, God-honoring way. I, I recall when I, when I first went to college, and I, I had that kind of realization, I'm away from home, I'm living in a state where no one knows me, I could go to church or not, and my parents would never know. It, it, was, a, it was a light bulb moment. And thankfully, I, I think God had a hand in this, I was able to attend a congregation where there were elders there, and it was one of the first times as an adult, and certainly the first time as an independent adult, where I was placed under an eldership. And there was a circumstance there where they so, so humbly and quietly handled a disruptive teacher who was, who was in fact teaching something very contrary to the truth. And if you were to ask 80% of that congregation, they didn't even know. They didn't even know it had occurred because it had, it had been handled in such a thoughtful way. And that, that man said, you know, I apologize for this. I clearly need to do more studying about this before I get up and teach about it. And so he agreed to study with the elders. Well, like, I have seen churches do this right. And it's, it's a refreshing thing. Let's not be so quick to only remember the difficult times, um, but to point out and commend those churches uh, that, that do this well. Um, <clears throat> brother and sister are not just titles. They suggest relationships, and relationship implies responsibility, our responsibility to act when a fellow Christian is in trouble. Um, and he points out, he brings this example back up again. There's no question that the church um, should have, what they should have done when Irene left the Spirit's way. Um, they should have approached her and, and dealt with her in a gentle way. Who knows if you're that person who's going to be the reason why that person turns, turns around? Who knows? Maybe it's your voice. Maybe it's, it's, it's your approach. Um, who knows if we could be the reason why this church uh, does it in a godly way what are our th thoughts or questions about that you took a breath you're ready I loved his wording when he said and you just read it but when he says when a fellow Christian is in trouble right so that that kind of eliminates this idea of I caught you in a sin we are we have this relationship. We have this love for this person that we see this as them in trouble. We want to help them out of this trouble. It is sin, absolutely. Yes, but yes. the fact is, we're not approaching it, or, or our attitude is not, I caught you in this sin, let's get this taken care of. It's, you're in trouble. I've been in trouble. I want to help you out of this trouble, right? Yeah, and, and trying and still to... addressing it as Yes, because trying to find that balance for those of us who have kids... <clears throat> There are some times where I just, 
I catch them doing something and it's infuriating. But instead, it should be, I love you too much to let you keep doing that. That's going to harm you. That, that's probably going to harm other people. And it's this, I, I caught you, but I'm, I'm so sorry you've put yourself here. Let's acknowledge this. Let's, let's, let's address this because staying here is, is putting you in trouble. Um, danger. It's putting you in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Gary? This might be backing up a little bit, but I, I just keep thinking, running through my mind, Satan is very good at setting the traps. You know, a, a professional trapper, when they're set their trap, they, they always hide it under the water and put some weeds around it so that whatever they're trying to trap doesn't see the trap. And Satan is very, very, very good. He's very talented at setting the traps and mm-hmm. I've, I've tripped over his traps I've stepped in them and I've gone down and I refuse to let him have the victory I, I humble myself I ask for forgiveness I pick myself back up and you know it'll happen again but Satan is just so good that said it he knows our weaknesses and he's going to use his talent to work against our weakness and just like Irene here or not exactly in tune with what her weakness was, but it was some type of materialism where she was in charge of money. She thought nobody would miss a little off the top to get whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. That was her weakness. Satan set her up perfectly for that. She fell for it, and now she's trapped. So, and all the other, like when I was in the service, you could have all the out of boys in the world, but if you have one, uh oh. That, that messes up your record for the rest of your career. And I feel like that was the case here with Irene. You know, she she was quoted as having been doing all of these good works, and then she fell into this one trap, and now people are looking at her sinisterly, and, you know, she's she's gone off. She's embarrassed. She's, she's hurting. She's confused. She's, you know, you could... Just give a list of a litany of all the exp- all the emotions she must be going through. Right, and, and she's alone. Right, and the good news of the gospel is that record can be cleared. That there's no there's no sin that's too bad. There's there's no amount of sin that's too much. That she simply needed to acknowledge and confess and repent. And, and the people there should have, and I don't, I don't know this situation, I don't get the impression that he's making these up. It seems like from the beginning of his introduction, he's changing names, but basing them on things that he's experienced. Um, they should have been pro- more proactive because Christ is willing to forgive in anything. And we, therefore, need to be willing to do the same. Um, that there's no reason why we need to keep looking at people with suspicion um, you know, if, if they're quick, if they're willing to acknowledge their sin and come back, uh, we need to forgive just as willfully and and quickly as as Jesus might. Craig, I was thinking too in all of this that we, as the sinner, have that responsibility ourselves with our Father. You know that even if everybody in the congregation is looking at you sideways, your relationship is with God first. And if you, you look at them and say, you know, I know he's forgiven me, and 
these people will realize that in due time. You know, I pray for them that they will because I have that relationship with my father. I fell, but I know he forgives me. And, you know, just like the people in Corinth were told to forgive their brother, um, I pray that they will come to do that. I mean, whether they did, I don't know if that was the situation that they weren't, but um, yeah, I like to think that we need to be strong in our conviction also and in our study and not fall so easily when people mistreat us but say, I know, I know, I can point right here and know this is what God expects of me and, and, and I'm doing that. And so I'm not going to let these people trap me, make me feel trapped when... When I have sought forgiveness, you know, and um, I guess I'm just kind of, I I hate to be, to fall on, on the excuse, I guess, is what I'm always trying to keep myself from doing, you know, just because people don't treat me right doesn't mean that I don't act right. Right. Uh, We are, we are accountable to God. We're accountable to God. And so... Uh, there may be times where we, we can honestly, genuinely look in his word and say, I, I, I believe I'm living this out. There may be some people who disagree with that. Um, ideally, you all can talk about it. You know, talk it through. If, if there are differences or there are disagreements, talk it through. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're accountable to God. And it's, it's, it's up to us to make sure, uh, to the best of our abilities, that that we are, you know, uh, right with him. And ideally, if these other people around us are doing the same thing, you know, we do this triangle thing, right? We're, we're all aiming towards the same direction, then we are inevitably growing closer together. Um, and I think apologies <coughs> would come on both sides as yeah. that happens, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't approach you right. I'm sorry I didn't <coughs> oh, yeah. you. I'm sorry I... Whatever, you know. Yeah. But, and, and I think for the most part, I would like to think that most churches are like that. Even if people came to you in a harsh way, I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt that they were doing what they thought was right. Yes. It might not have come out right. I might not have heard it right. A lot of things could have come out wrong. But at the end of the day, I think people want people to repent and and people love to see people repenting. You know what I mean? They love to see us repenting. They like, we, that encourages us. You know, there's usually not a dry eye in a place where somebody comes forward and says, I'm sorry I did this, you know, because our hearts are in tune with what God wants and we all are trying to keep each other on that road to get to heaven. Yeah, isn't that an interesting lie that Satan tells us? If I acknowledge to someone my sin, oh, they're gonna they're gonna hate me. They're gonna think less of me. They're, oh, it's probably gonna sever this if I make my sin known. I have seen the exact opposite. That good, genuine people, when you come and you say, ah, I have messed this up, and I am sorry. Please forgive me. You try to make it right with the people. You know, if you if you've sinned against specific people, good, honest Christian people, then scoop scoop you right up and I think it it actually improves the relationship but it man it's this lie that Satan's real good at because he keeps he at least keeps telling it to me uh, oh you don't want anyone to know that's going to ruin everything no 
No. Uh, God shows us he is quick to forgive. He is patient and kind and loving. He wants us to acknowledge um, to acknowledge that. Um, <clears throat> were there any other hands? Are you going to talk about the anathema? <laughs> I was hoping not to. <laughs> I'll bring up one more point, then maybe we can finish out the class. If you could do, yeah, like a six-minute point. <laughs> no, I just think it's interesting that, and it, this was from some notes from the, the last time I was in this class, that it's very interesting that the vast majority of the instruction about discipline in the Bible is directed toward the disciplinarian, not the one being disciplined. Hmm. which goes to show how important our attitude and our responsibility is. So, yes, the there is instruction for the one being disciplined, but if you look at the vast majority of the instruction, it is toward the disciplinarian and how we approach in our, in, in, in our attitude yes. and, and our responsibility toward others, yes. which I thought was interesting. Yeah, you know... If we are in the scenario where I have a responsibility of going to someone, the only person in that encounter that I have any control over is me. And so what, what, what kind of attitude, what kind of, of spirit am I going to go to that person? I mean, there are, there are passages, and we've, we've mentioned it already, as you know, mentioned in, in Hebrews, where he's instructing us in general to be willing to accept the Lord's discipline. Um, and I think that's helpful if we do happen to be in the position of one who someone is coming to. Um, but you're right. We need to be filling ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit in all circumstances, but especially in, in these types of circumstances. How am I, how am I uh, approaching that person? With a spirit of, of love and joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness and goodness and gentleness? Am I doing that? Um, that seems to be that seems to be the actual method of of going to this person, right? To in in, in Paul's case, because you know, Matthew Matthew was the book of Matthew wasn't written until probably around sixty A.D. and this was the book of Galatians was written probably in the mid to late fifties. So the the Matthew scripture they this church wouldn't have even been familiar with, right? As far as the go to the person in this method, but yet. The focus is not here on the method. The focus is the outcome, and so um, I don't know if that's you know how important that is, but I think it just it just needs to remind us that it's all about restoration. It's not about you know I have to go by myself now. Nope, that didn't work. I've got to take another person. Nope, that didn't work. Now I've got to present it to. The I'm not saying we have to forget about those, and those aren't important. But the ultimate responsibility here is restoration. And goes back to what they just read about this fruit of the spirit. If I go to the person in this gentle and meek heart, possessing these fruits of the spirit, then I'm going to have as good a chance as anybody in bringing this person back to God. Yeah, and and what I would say to that, because um, I, I I agree, what I would say to that is anytime we have a question about, in this particular case, church discipline, or we have a question about modesty or any other hot button topics we want to bring up um we need to make sure that we're looking at at everything the bible says about those things 
um, rather than just looking at one and drawing all of our conclusions from the one. This complements Matthew and Jesus' instruction, but there's also going to be some more details and helpful things that we're going to study in, in these later chapters, these other passages in Thessalonians and others we've already mentioned in Hebrews, and looking at it all together. We're not going to find any one passage that says, here is the 100% rule book for church discipline. This is all you need. And I don't but think when we, we apply every single passage to every form of discipline that we engage in as well. I think Be- that's right. I think that's right. We need to apply the heart of it. Every scenario right. is going to be different. Right. I need to make sure coming to someone with a spirit of gentleness, I don't think is an optional no. <laughs> command here. Um, coming to somebody, demonstrating the fruit of the spirit, uh, that, that absolutely needs to apply in, in every case. There are going to be some cases where what Jesus uh, instructs us to do in Matthew 18, the scenario may not play out that way. But I do think it is, it is wisdom to make sure that we are not doing the opposite of his instruction there, oh, thinking absolutely. that it will be better. Yeah. You know, I find someone in their sin, so I'm going to tell the whole church, and I'm going to miss the... T- no. Right. No. Um, yeah. But how often, though, that... Well, I, I, I told Katrina, the, the rule for myself is usually, if it's the thing I don't want to do, it's probably the thing I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even with, you know, I wouldn't call them uh, hard, fast, you know, court procedures, like he kind of does in the book, but, like, guidelines, and a general guideline, not necessarily have to be followed, you know, to the leather, the wall kind of thing, but, you know, not neglecting those things just because well, I don't need to follow that. And so therefore, I, I excuse myself. That's what he seems to be warning is those people that want to excuse themselves from doing it this way because, well, it's easier for them if they just don't do that. You know? Right. There's another or example. Or I can, I can now gossip about this. Oh, because, right. Because, well, see, I've, I've, war, I've war-gamed this out in my mind, and so therefore, you know, I'm, I'm excused from having to do that. You know, right. it's just... If you just kind of approach it a little bit like that, of like, um, how can I? Get I am this? less likely to want to have to confront this person. It's probably the thing I should do. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah, John. It, yeah. You use the word wisdom. I think it's you know all of this is wisdom for us to deal with situations in a godlike way, mm-hmm. and 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 we will we'll we'll pull from here and from there, and some we'll use in certain times, some we'll use in others, and and it's not a. Uh, all one or all the other, but it's all there to, to equip yeah. us. Exactly. Yeah, and as far as yeah, because as far as the approach, it, it is going to look different for every circumstance. As far as the goal, it is the same. Mm-hmm. And I and I will say we're going to look at some other passages. Sometimes the secondary goal needs to also be considered, which my goal is to restore that person absolutely, and that should always be the focus. But sometimes. There is also the goal of, I'm trying to protect the rest of the body, and this influence, as described sometimes as a cancer, needs to be removed. Hopefully removed so that that person can repent, but in the meantime, I'm also looking to the safety of the body. Um, And that's a goal that we need to keep in mind as well. You know, at the beginning of the book, that was his focus. He said, in reality, this book, the study of this book is on church discipline. And the focus is that we may share in his holiness. We are to be holy as God is holy. That's right. And so it goes to exactly what you were saying, that that, you know, that 
Discipline is to maintain holiness in the body of Christ. That's right. That's right. Thank you all. Uh, Mike will take us into chapter 9. Yeah, we're going to do a little bit of chapter.